0: We all are so interested in healthcare. We all, at least the people watching this show, are interested in artificial intelligence, innovation, data, machine learning, and today we bring it all together. I'm Michael Krigsman. I'm an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk, and you are watching episode number 275 of CXO Talk. I'm so thrilled because we have two extraordinary guests. Malind Kamkolkar is the chief data officer at Sanofi Pharmaceuticals, and Isham Udgiri is the CEO of Enigma Data, which is a very interesting startup. and We'll learn more about his company and Malin's company, Sanofi, in a moment. I want to say a thank you to Livestream. They have been supporting us for the last several years, and they supply our video streaming infrastructure. And If you go to Livestream.com slash talk, in fact, they will give you a discount on their plans. Now, this is the part of the show where I beg you to please tell a friend. And please like us on Facebook right now. Tell a friend, tell a friend to like us on Facebook too. And subscribe on YouTube. Valint Camp you have been on this show before. Tell us about, tell us about uh, Sanofi, and tell us about your work.
1: Sure. So Sanofi is the, one of the world's largest uh, French pharmaceutical companies specializing in a number of different areas: uh, consumer health, pharma, general medicine, specialty in rare disease and oncology. And of course, in vaccines. Uh, Most of my work at Sanofi have joined, it's hitting up the ninth month now, and it's really focused on helping Sanofi moving from a data driven or let's say data generation organization to an insight generation organization. And as part of that data transformation journey, really bringing together the best parts of our organization and covering the areas of where we need opportunistic growth, and uh, frankly, helping us make decisions better across the firm.
0: Okay, fantastic. Um, and you're the chief data officer, and I'm sure as we have this conversation, we'll learn more about what that actually means and, and what you do. Our our second esteemed guest, and this is his first time here on CXO Talk, is Isham Udgiri. And Isham, welcome to CXO Talk. How are you? And thanks for being here.
2: Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me.
0: So, uh, so Isham, tell us about Enigma.
2: So Enigma, you know, Enigma, what we do is, is really help companies create a center of gravity around their data model. If you look at Amazon, Google, Facebook, and, and really what separates them from the rest of the Fortune 500, it's this notion that all of their products are, are built upon a central data model, these business objects, and every single thing that you do on their platform enriches that. Uh, that database and that that view of their world. You know for a lot of companies, this has to be cobbled together, right? It's you know uh, data is coming from legacy applications, applications that weren't designed to speak to each other. So we really help companies link their data to make smarter decisions on a unified view.
0: I thought this was uh, very, very interesting because you are also aggregating many, many uh, public data sources. That organizations can then use in their machine learning, AI and uh, predictive analytics efforts?
2: Absolutely. I mean, you know, when we you know, give people back these enriched views of, of, uh, of the data that they have, we layer on top of it really the whole world as a context. I mean, we aggregate information all the way from H1B visa records to cargo container shipments, right, FDA data, Medicare spending data and for us uh, being able to integrate data and allow companies to use more and more heterogeneous data uh, in every line of what they do is is pretty mission critical and it's making sure that people can actually interface and refer to things in the same way
0: okay fantastic so now Malin, let me begin with you this notion of data and healthcare Set the stage for us, if you would. Why is this so crucial today? What's what's unique about today's environment that we need to pay attention so closely to this issue?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I want to start off by saying, you know, data is nothing new. It's been around for years and we've just been really good at accumulating more and more and more of it. But I don't think there's ever really been a business design behind how and why we accumulate this data. And particularly in healthcare today, right? We're often still focused on the same questions we've been trying to answer for the last 25, if not 30 years. And personally, I think the opportunity that we have today is really around being able to ask not only those foundational questions, but perhaps asking questions of new data sources, new environments that might shed a whole new light into the way in which we operate. You know, I call this phenomenon, right? At least the way in which we're organizing it in our company. It's all around the notion of doing things better versus doing better things, right? And the doing things better is all around the operational effectiveness of your decision making. You know, Are you looking at data that's findable, accessible, interoperable, reusable, and really using, if you will, that fair data standard as the FICO score for your information sets? But it doesn't stop there, right? Once you've gotten that piece in play, how do you start using these new data sources to be able to ask questions to uncover new insights that you may never have had before. And I think that opportunity with the advent of big data, if you will, even as a data management infrastructure, the advent of machine learning algorithms that can actually operate faster because, again, that's nothing new. It's been around for some time. But it's really around this high compute infrastructure now, and the availability and accessibility of this data that's, that's allowing us to do new things in a far more profound way. And more importantly, being able to use those new insights in ways that impact healthcare in a more positive way
0: so hisham uh, this this I love this notion that he was just uh, speaking about of using data to do things better, and you're in the data business so so what is the how can we use data to do things better, to actually make better decisions?
2: so think about it this way, like the whole industry is moving towards more and more personalized delivery, right? <coughs> when you do a clinical trial today, it's possible you're doing it with hundreds of people as opposed to the thousands or, or or even much more so than you're doing before. The barometer for data quality and using data well and doing things better, you know, it's not just opportunistic, is it's literally the science is leading us in that direction as well. Yeah. So everything from the manufacturing process being tighter from a quality perspective to being able to on the back end manage and triage adverse events faster to, you know, the regulatory submission process when you're researching drugs. All of that is moving towards um, having data being corroborating evidence, corroborating evidence to deliver more and more personalized drugs. And to be much, much faster in the process of research and 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 development,
0: Melinda, I know you have uh, you have thoughts on this.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's one of those areas where, I mean, to echo what, what Hisham has been saying here, <clears throat> you know, ultimately this comes down to how well do you operate your business and how effective is your business in being able to address unmet needs in the consumer space or in the patient space. Uh, or customer space in this instance. And I think what we've begun to do much more effectively now is use that data to deliver personalized content for the right customer, through the right channel at the right time. And it's not limited, right? When you think about that, that's almost marketing 101. But frankly, it's not marketing 101. It's basic human information engagement, right? And that notion of basic human information engagement, I think we've gone through you know, this dawning of the digital age. But there are many companies that are incredibly innovative in their digital presence but are absolutely pathetic when it comes to decision-making for their business. And I think that's the big game-changer here. When we talk about data as being oil or gold or whatever other appropriate, you know, a highly <coughs> quantifiable entity is, it's that notion of saying, can this data actually drive better business, business outcomes? And as a result of that, can our firms become smarter in the way in which we make those decisions? And I think that's when you start tailoring into the world of algorithms as well. Um, I don't want to take away, though, the importance that <clears throat> with good algorithms and good data comes the need of basic foundational elements of data, which includes governance, change management, the area of data quality. I mean, at what point do we agree the threshold of data quality is good enough? To at least get the ball rolling. I think once you start doing those, and that to me is more the operational effectiveness of how well you run your data operations, you can really start managing a portfolio of investments across your data and analytics workspace. I like to call it your systems of record should be no more than 40% of resource allocation. Systems of innovation where you're competing, uh, sorry, of of, uh, differentiation where you're competing should be the last 40%. And finally, the leapfrog capability comes from those newer data elements and the newer algorithms you deploy in the systems of innovation. Today, almost 98% of our resource allocation is still kept captive in systems of record. And most of the time, we're not even doing those well. And I see that's where the opportunity is to start embracing these newer technologies, capabilities and data and so forth. With, of course, a profound impact on change management what do people do now versus what do machines do now?
2: If you think about it, there is so much scale inherently in, you know, that supply chain from research to patient outcome, right? And if you just get one part of it right, you're affecting millions of people and you know you're affecting, you know, matters of life and death and sickness and not, right? And so um, the ability to do something that is robust enough and, and sustainable enough that you can actually build on it and start you know innovating on top of something that you can push out to a variety of areas, I think that's very, very important for pharma, and I think it's changing even ways in which I think the the accessibility of data is changing ways in which pharma companies even organize themselves. like I see a lot yeah. of pharma companies. Who organize themselves around, you know, um, basically brand franchises. This drug has this research database and uh, this marketing database and you know this quality database and and pharma's being able, data is being able to kind of uh, substantiate more of a hub and spoke model around yeah. information access for the first time, right? And I think that, that's a big change too, right? These are cultural changes happening because of the way information is, is uh, uh, liberating, uh, you know, basically resource access.
1: No, absolutely. And I think one of the things that ties into that, right, is this whole notion of, with data being more available on the web <clears throat> as well through the internet, the one really nice thing that's happened is where we used to have these, let's call it cultural boundaries that existed. Well, the internet doesn't have those per se. When we're seeing things like GDPR, et cetera, all starting to introduce itself now, into the world around data privacy and security. But really, you know, uh, patients who are describing or, or customers that may be describing disease outcomes or parts of their patient journey in a language that is non-native to perhaps say folks in North America, you can still actually leverage that data to see particularly multicultural countries, you know, do the same kinds of people, for example, share the similar kind of impact or not. And I think this is where this world of personalization makes such a remarkable difference, because whilst the internet may not have geographical boundaries per se, the reality is you can now start leveraging that and translate that into your domestic markets, where things start to become really uh, quite real as well.
2: I totally agree. The, the The only problem that kind of comes out of all of this is, you know, we do increase that noise to signal ratio tremendously, uh, immensely, and. Um, and kind of what we need to do you know as you know, just practitioners in this space it is remember that uh, basically there has to be some domain expertise that comes back into the creation of the data uh, the curation of the data science behind all of it it's why that you know data science frankly is a multidisciplinary effort and um there's been, in my opinion, a little bit of a rush in the last couple of years towards the infrastructure and the compute, and yeah. not enough of a marriage in between you know the the the, the underlying science and the the domain to basically make sense of all of this flood of information that's coming in. We've seen it uh, in a variety of areas where it it really, really can hurt um, and it's been nice as you know just anecdotally as a young company. To be able to work closely with people who actually understand it—that's the, I think, the cool thing about pharma is that there is so much domain expertise. The problems are very deeply rooted.
0: Melind, can you give us uh, give us some concrete examples of this that the audience who 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 may not be healthcare or data experts would be able to understand or relate to?
1: Sure. I mean, let, let's take the example of <clears throat> you know outcomes-based evidence, right? This is a big area for many pharmaceutical companies. We know that contracts with payers or with insurance companies or even regulators in, uh, let's say, more socialized healthcare systems across the world are delving into, i.e. the notion that you'll only get reimbursed if your medication proves a positive health outcome. And in these instances, this is where this new data makes a profound impact because, for example, geographies that might be very high in pollen count uh, might not always be producing or, in some cases, might be producing the right kind of results depending on patient population in that area. And you'd be surprised how often we take for granted the notion of weather but don't often integrate it into our treatment paradigms, into our outcomes-based contracting. And I think what we're starting to see now are people saying, well, hang on, are these new variables that are coming into, let's call it clinical settings, actually the more important because they start to give a more holistic view of a patient's journey through their treatment paradigm? I think the other one that's very interesting here is what I would call the Fitbit paradox, right, where we're seeing tremendous uptake of digital gadgets. I think the word of today in this year's CES conference is, you can literally put Alexa on anything. Um, you know, As we're seeing this sort of profound impact we're, in digital health, one of the struggles we're facing is the lack of uh, data that's being used for preventional studies, i.e., people who buy Fitbit are generally fit. right? Uh, the people who probably really need Fitbit may not be using it as effectively. And you start getting into data biases that come into play in the world of evidence and, ge- and evidence-based outcomes. The last area that I would see where data is being used into this specifically is the world of effective computing. i. e how do you really measure pain? You know is it should it still be on the same ten scale threshold? Should it still be using the same emojis? Well, now we've got emojis online now, and we can start collecting that more uh, frequently through online measures. Do those now become the new clinical biomarkers, if you will, or digital biomarkers of pain? I mean, all of these sorts of things, right, when you start combining them together, start giving you both a more real-time context under which you can start creating new interventional studies or interventions that prescribers and or patients can sometimes self-administer versus how that gets reflected now into the economics of healthcare management, i.e., when is a reimbursement rose relevant? Because if you ask them to get high pollen counts, for example, the likelihood of payouts during that time in an economic burden or burden of disease area would also be for probably for those who suffer asthma and other pulmonology related or immunology related diseases.
0: And Isham, uh, any, any thoughts on practical implementation examples of data similar to what Mulind was just describing?
2: Yeah I'm I'm really fascinated uh, I like Millen's example of real world evidence because it's this notion that data can connect parts of the system that haven't been connected together tightly so you know the 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 actual drug manufacturers the payers the providers um I love the 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 problem of pharmaceutical safety as well it really you know I'm really passionate about kind of what it takes to pull drugs off the shelves when you hear you know uh, historically, root cause analysis takes you know close to a year right to bring together you know uh, uh, an instance of an adverse event. someone took a, a you know specific medicine and got really sick in a way they, they didn't expect, and the time that it takes to understand you know how that drug was was manufactured, uh, what are the quality indicators of that specific batch. We now have sensors on you know, boat shipments and pallets recording the temperature of each and every movement of the pharmaceutical batch across the chain. That stuff is being analyzed in real time. And so when, some, when an event like that happens, you know we can trace the lineage of that event all the way back and do that analysis in real time. And furthermore, uh, we're connecting that supply chain together, but we're also connecting of external evidence to the regulators, the FDA, you know the World Health Organization will report these. you'll have individuals call into call centers, you'll we'll have doctors and hospitals kind of be redundant in the way they report these things. And it costs a lot of, of time and effort to triage all of this information and all of it kind of comes in an incomplete way. And so what we can do now with data is actually stitch it all together really really fast in real time. And so instead of having doctors figure out kind of who's on first, we're actually investigating why things went wrong as opposed to, you know, gathering evidence, right? We're kind of reducing that that rule to something that's much more palatable and and much more efficient for everyone's safety.
1: Yeah, I mean I think I think To echo Hisham's point there, I mean, there was a really good point raised around the connectivity, right? I mean, in the early 2000s, we had a lot of these buzzword phrases like uh, bench to bedside, molecule to market, and these sorts of things. And, you know, whilst the hype cycle of that was very promising, right, it went through a bit of a lull because we realized, you know what, we we just didn't have the infrastructure to do that work. Um, Nowadays, I think with the newer capabilities that are coming through, that data has the providence and lineage to really be able to be tracked at a discrete level. You know what machine did this particular batch of compound get produced at? Um, could you really quantify if a product label change has to be made as a result of the adverse event that's being reported in a call center? Is that propagation going to have consistently? Is it going to happen in a way that's also meaningful where maybe the pharma companies, don't need to report to the regulators anymore, but we give the regulators direct access to a portal to say, hey, you know what? Take a look through our process. You can see it anytime you want to ensure that this kind of quality and compliance is coming through the system. I think that's kind of the power of the transformation that we're seeing today as well. I think the other part around cost is a big one. All of these processes cost money. And any kind of interventional state, whether it's algorithmic or data stitching or data transformation that can happen in play, if it does reduce the cost and effect, the anticipation is that these of course will be benefits that get uh, transferred back to the patient population.
0: I want to remind everybody that you are watching episode number two hundred and seventy-five of CXO Talk. We're speaking with Melind. Cam Kolkar, who is the chief data officer at Sanofi Pharmaceuticals. And we are also speaking with Isham Udgiri, who is the co founder and CEO of Enigma Data, a very interesting startup. And right now, there's a tweet chat going on, and you can ask your questions of these two very smart guys using the hashtag CXOTalk. So, so let me address to either one of you. Uh, where do the t- you? You've both been painting a a vision of data linking together disparate parts. What today are disparate parts of the healthcare system: payers, insurance companies, doctors, hospitals. Let's not forget patients, and then of their course. devices. So you you're both painting this holistic picture. What do we have to do? Where are we today? And what do we have to do to to achieve that vision you've both been describing?
2: I'm happy to take a a quick stab and definitely an incomplete answer, but there's a lot of very encouraging, big, bold bets being placed. So if you take a look at CVS and Aetna, Mm -hmm. right, or even the announcement of a couple days ago of Amazon partnering up with you know JP Morgan and, and Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, to deliver more unified care, I mean these are, you know, these are these are moonshots and, and and quite interesting. They're very calculated, and I think the the risk on the data side of the equation coming together becoming lower and becoming more a game of you know how well can you do it. There's a lot of low hanging fruit in our industry to make data better, and I just want to harp back on that one point that you made earlier, Melind, which is. If it's not done with the operational mindset, we're kind of creating a little more debt despite yeah. the amount of innovation that we're spreading out. We won't be able to kind of reduce the entropy in this complex system. Um, yeah. So I'm very encouraged that people have the confidence that they're doing it the, the right way. We certainly see that. I certainly see how you know, pharma is uh, investing in that. Uh, as to how it gets done in, in technical, I have a bunch to say, too. But, you know, obviously, I'd love to hear a bit what you think about, you know, people's confidence in that respect.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's uh, on the farmer side, I would say it's a cautious trepidation. I think we are taking far much bolder bets, but it's all relative speaking, right? Um, you know, to that extent, uh, I'm incredibly encouraged seeing the recent uh, investor calls between Roche, Novartis, certainly our own. I mean, I think every pharma CEO today or every every uh, large healthcare CEO today is in their investor calls uh, relating to the, to the importance of digital and data. I mean, this really is a golden age of seeing these things come together. And I think when you have leadership, right, that is coming down and saying this is a strategic objective for us and we're going to apply it in the areas of you know you know finding the right patients for the right trials, uh, optimising clinical trials so that the cost can be transferred further down the line, ensuring that we're engaging more effectively so it is the right content and it's not this superfluous uh, advertising spend that we often see today. I think those are the areas that we're seeing some really big moves. I'm particularly encouraged by some of the work that's going on in deep learning and the applications of machine learning technologies in both. Operational effectiveness, right? Simple things of saying, can we automate FDA regulate uh, submissions through using natural language processing? We're doing some pretty cool work at that. I don't know my peers are doing some really cool work in that stuff in, in the other companies. The world of blockchain. Uh, I know there's a really nice healthcare consortium coming together between a couple of us in the industry where we're openly sharing our experiences in working with these different platforms and technologies and trying to address okay, look, there's a really cool tech that's out there, but is it really going to make the best sense for us? I, I want to give you a really clear example. You know, we talk about blockchain, for example, in the world of counterfeit right? and being able to prevent counterfeit. But you often wonder, and sadly, that most of this counterfeit action often happens in emerging growth markets and or you know, parts of Africa. So Here we go. We take uh, a really big energy-consuming infrastructure like blockchain Uh, and apply it to areas that have very little to zero bandwidth. And it makes you wonder, is that really the best application of blockchain that we see today? Because structurally it may not work, but the idea is correct, right? And I think what we're starting to see now is that we're not jumping to technology first. We're actually addressing what is the problem we're trying to solve before we go into those spaces. And I, and I'm starting to see at least more relevant questions, more interesting questions being asked. And the technology, honestly, taking the seat it should, which is, okay, let's see how we can best do this now.
2: You can really proxy into the answer of any question, right? It's this notion yeah. that kind of all models are false. Some right. are just more useful yeah. than others, right? And so, you know, we work a lot with public data. We see people all the time doing things like trying to cobble together. You know, um, claims uh, claims data um, from a variety of providers. turns out Medicare puts out this information for free for everyone. <laughs> sure it's not the whole population, but you can get a sense of what's going on. And uh, I see this on the data side. I see this on the technology side, uh, I, vis-a-vis your question about, you know blockchain, absolutely right, right? Some, the, the best answer may actually not be the best answer. It That's may right. it may just be you know the best theoretical <laughs> answer yeah um you know the the space has I think a culture of kind of engineering and you know setting setting things up to deliver it's different than if you're um kind of marketing and and delivering ads on the internet, which is what big data has been for a really long time, so the no. challenge that pharma has is can't be as fast as loose. And I think that, that that ingenuity is coming through that challenge.
1: Oh, look, Oh I fully agree. I think, to me, the most satisfying thing, and certainly I've seen in the last nine months here at Sanofi, and, and certainly speaking with my peers in the other companies, is um, we're finally embracing Agile. We're finally embracing the notion that it's okay to be a little scrappy. Within reason, I would say areas res- with respect to patient safety, et cetera, absolutely no compromises But uh, in terms of quality and safety. But I think in some of the other areas, this notion of you can work agile and it's okay. I would not say it's okay to fail. I would say it's more okay to experiment smartly, right? But when you do that, being scrappy but recognizing that much of this is still very much a marathon, I think is a really positive sign that I'm starting to see come through. Um, the other area that I see is incredibly um, encouraging is the world of open source, and we're starting to see a bit more around data sharing, uh, around data observations, around algorithms that are being published now in open source as well. Where I would love, and at I guess it's a challenge not only to myself but also to the industry, is that can we get past the open data stuff but really start thinking about open data model sharing? Because I think when you can start deriving data models that are more relevant to either disease or other such areas, the data flows that come through actually feed into a significant amount of data prep work that no longer has to be done. I'm not saying it goes away, but at least when you have open data model, we're speaking from the same platform. Uh, In the absence of that today, this is where you do start getting those nuances in data clarity, data quality, and sometimes observations. That frankly may not be as uh, intuitive as what they appear.
0: We have an interesting question from Shelly Lucas on Twitter. And Shelly, by the way, is a content marketer, internet uh, influencer strategy type of person who is just among the very best out there. Um, I know Shelly well. And she asks, Pharma has marketed directly to consumers, but will it need a new engagement model with this increased data sharing?
1: Yeah, I mean, yes, (laughs) absolutely. Uh, Shelley, I think you hit the nail on the head. Right? Uh, We've never really—I mean, if you think about the kind of work that we've done in the past, right? Content and engagement strategy wasn't necessarily at the top of the list, right? Uh, Or at least, if it was, it wasn't always done effectively because you have these long brand plan sessions over a year where the ability to change interventions through the, let's call it, the uh, the approval process was quite difficult and often um, taking time. I, I see there definitely needing to be a new engagement model where the rep is, in fact, one of many channels, right? Uh, historically, it's generally been rep-led conversations. I don't think human interaction is going to go away. I still think there is a relevance for reps, despite, you know, the... But I think the nature of what reps look like. I think it's going to change more into this scientific liaison, a much more deeper conversations around around patient archetypes, around genomic discussions, around things that patients are actually searching for and looking for answers. Uh, Maybe it's a more sophisticated Dr. Google, for example, that comes through, and that becomes a new channel that's relevant. Uh, but I think content marketers in general and uh, the way in which we 've been engaging engaging in general is going to go through a whole new world. I mean even the notion of an agency today is already going through its own challenges, so you 're seeing this evolvement, if you will uh, in the content marketing and marketing space in general.
2: Can I um take that question with like a fast forward ten, fifteen, twenty years from now attitude? The thing sure. that I keep thinking about at night is, you know, what if we had the the data work for us and what do we need to do in order to get there in a safe way? You know, right now, the diagnostic capability of pharmaceutical companies to deliver a personalized medicine, I mean, we could, we could literally, you know, be going to the doctor and being told exactly what we should be taking. Right. Mm -hmm. And multiple companies could be getting that information and analyzing it in real time to deliver very personalized medicine and on one hand that is a really cool future where yeah. we're being taken care of on the other hand there is a lot of data privacy concerns going on i know europe is at the forefront with gdpr in this respect and i know the you know regulations coming in may around basically uh, what is you know the management of PII data look like? I think these are some of the biggest questions over the next 10, 15 years, or almost ethical questions. Is How do we enable pharma to know, you know, essentially, our body in a way that we feel comfortable with? That's quite an engagement strategy.
0: On the subject of the ethical... Question: uh, Melin, let me direct a question from you. That's coming from Zachary Jeans on Twitter. A really interesting question, and he's asking, "What are the the potential dark sides of big pharma companies leveraging all of this data?" As Isham was just describing. Yeah. Look, I
1: mean, I think look, one of the things we've done uh, specifically is established an ethics board, an external ethics board that looks at not only content but also algorithms that appear in black boxes, right? Because, my, and honestly, my biggest fear, right, independent of whether I work for a pharmaceutical company or not, is exactly the same fear that you have, which is, we talk about digital disruption often in a highly positive way, but we can't forget that there is a the black mirror effect in all of this, yeah. which is, you know, the, uh, the outcome of abuse, right? And sadly, this happens across the board. It's probably happening already today. Right I mean do we really know how our data is actually being moved across the board and being used for different reasons I would hope most of it's positive but I think we can all agree there's probably nefarious things going on that we simply don't know about and I get the sense that you know as a company we need to do everything we can I think there are new let's call it ethical terms that we need to start addressing now as, as a pharma company, as an industry body, um, it's not just ethics in terms of um, what information can or can we, cannot we use, right? So, there's a lot of intended use guidelines around how we use data. But more importantly, the ethics around societal impact of that data, the societal impact of black box algorithms, perhaps negating certain functions that physicians do today. Uh, we're already seeing this happen in radiology we 're seeing this happen in numerous other professions in the in the physician world and my fear is this is something that a pharma company alone cannot handle I do think it 's an industry it 's a healthcare industry consortium thing that we need to address. I think that things like blockchain may bring about a better trusted relationship there with our information sets and so forth but i I you know, to be honest with you, that there's many things that could be done negatively, none of which I anticipate our company is doing today, and I don't think by design they intend to do that. But like anything in this world, right, the minute you go online, your information could be used ten ways to Sunday, and not all of it's going to be
0: great. So Arsalan Khan, Hisham, uh, Arsalan Khan is asking in the same vein, what about data corruption that takes place either on purpose or accidentally? Who governs these open data models and the data sharing that you both have been advocating so so strongly and with very good reason, of course?
2: That is a great question. It's one of the most important things in any data transformation journey: is lineage, understanding everything about kind of where the data was produced. Much like you know, it's very important to us to know how our food was produced. It's very much very important for us to know how the data landed, who transformed it, why, and what. And we're trying really hard to do that. I think as a community of practitioners, without without slowing down results. But uh, there are many many ways. You know, AI and machine learning is even helping us to do that now. And I'm seeing a lot of positive stuff. But it's a it's a quality standard that we have to keep.
0: Isham raises a great point. How can uh, machine learning and AI and these new tech kind of techniques that are based on data help push innovation forward without uh, suffer suffering uh, the, the 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 potential kind of issues that may happen when data is aggregated and shared, like like we were just describing.
1: Yeah, sure. So I think the first thing we need to recognize is that AI and machine learning, any of these coding languages, is inherently amoral, i.e., it lacks morality. It's the people who code them and the discipline and the ethical boundaries under which either they've been raised or otherwise uh, lends itself to the behavior. Also, once those algorithms go open, i.e., they're part of an engagement plan, it depends how we engage with them as well. What do we train those algorithms on and the data that gets trained into it? I think, you uh, you know, when I think about... How we approach this. One area that I've been very adamant on is the world of diversity. And knowing that diversity and diverse thinking, if you will, and people coming from diverse backgrounds almost forms the crux and basis under which you should even deploy an algorithm, let alone design it. That's number one. Number two, I think as a society, we need to start raising the bar on how we start engaging with these platforms. We've seen Microsoft had uh, unfortunately a disaster of an experience with the algorithm or chatbot that they put out. That unfortunately was getting trained on by 16 year old or 15 year old rather vivacious teens, right? That were using all sorts of language and very demoralizing kind of language, uh, highly sexist. Where they actually had to pull the chatbot off. So I think it's a two sided uh, equation, right? Not all of it is just. It's on the farmer side. Most of it has to come from diversity of talent that you put into the program, but then also the appropriate coaching. Then of how do we engage so that as the model starts enriching itself, you have the right ethical guidance in terms of how we engage with it.
0: Any thoughts on this, uh, Ishan? The diversity
2: point is is probably the most important one. I mean, I, I could not agree more that you know challenging this sort of technology from as many viewpoints as possible. Is the best way for it. I mean, very optimistic about you know, what we do as a society and the people as, as how we come together. We want to create that opportunity to just see things differently. Because remember, mm-hmm. the, the impact of AI and machine learning is that it scales fast and it's designed to learn and reinforce its biases, right? Mm-hmm. It's a self optimizing system. So the opportunity to challenge it. The design of multiple points of view, that must be inherent in how we go about here.
0: How do we do this right, Melind? How do we do it right? I think it comes
1: in talent acquisition too, right? When you put teams on board, make sure they do have opposing views. You know, I think the echo chamber phenomenon that we're seeing, be it in politics or otherwise, is something that's come culturally over a period of time, but it doesn't mean that it has to be integrated into our algorithms, let alone our data system. The data exists. Right, it's what we do with it and how we do with it that's important, and uh, I think it starts there. Right, putting teams together, an appropriate ethics board around it, or some kind of principles of design that go around it, and really start thinking about you know as a human, how would you feel about this? Right, these responses and this engagement. Um, it comes down to delivering a customer experience that is relevant, an engagement experience that's relevant and meaningful.
0: So uh, we have a, like two minutes. Left and so in 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 140 characters or so. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to direct this one to you. So uh, so so Malin just raised the issue of customer experience. What does customer experience in healthcare actually mean? What does it consist of? So uh, you know in 10 seconds, can you summarize that entire body of knowledge and way of looking at the world?
2: Honestly, it's abstracting away most of everything we talked of, talked about and not making it complex. Just a better patient outcome, it's more transparent and comes with less caveats. And leave that to the people who you know are working for those patients and make that relationship clear.
0: I love that. Um, and Melind, your just final take on this notion of Customer experience uh, mm-hmm. and algorithms.
1: Yeah, uh, make it convenient,
0: make it fun, make it meaningful. Wow, you guys are, you guys are quick. Uh, any any final final thoughts? We're really out of time, but but how about final thoughts from each of you? Who wants to go first?
2: All right, um, final thoughts. I mean, I think one of the opportunities, specifically in healthcare, is that it is a system that you know it has all of these compartmentalizations you do have the providers you have the manufacturers and the drug makers um you have the people doing research in a more isolated way i really think data is going to bring this system together i think it's a complex system for a reason and it's amazing what we've achieved but i think uh we'll be able to iron out a lot of the kinks in the next coming years and and make the whole system feel like more of of one thing for Patient, and I know that's a huge source of confusion and anxiety for people just trying to get better.
1: Yeah, I I would just leave it with you know. I think if more people contracted obsessive compulsive data disorder, the better it's going to be. I think when we're when we're aware and conscious of how we use information and for what purpose, and be relentless about the problem you're trying to solve, right, and ask more questions. I think the better it's going to be and I would leave it with saying don't let technology be the lead in this instance right really focus on what is the experience you're trying to deliver what is the problem you're trying to solve and let technology really just do its role as an enabler
0: okay well with that what an interesting and uh very very fast discussion i would like to say Thank you to Malin Kolkar, who is the Chief Data Officer at Sanofi. Malin, thanks. Uh, it's great having you here, and I hope you'll come back oh, and do it again.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure.
0: And I would like to also say thank you to Isham Udgiri, who is the co founder and CEO of Enigma Data. And Isham, thank you for being here, and I hope that you'll come back and do it again as well.
2: My pleasure. Thanks so much for for having me.
0: You have been watching episode number 275 of Cxo Talk. Please like us on Facebook and tell a friend right now that they should also like us. Thanks so much, everybody. I hope you have a great day. Next week, we are back, and we have amazing shows, uh, and we'll see you soon. Have a great one. Bye-bye.